Open your Bibles up to John chapter 4, verses 43 uh, through 54. After two years without a vacation, a gentleman named Edward Gamson, an American dentist, was excited to board his plane and do some sightseeing in Granada, which is a province in Spain, I'm sure David and Katrina are familiar with. And but some nine hours later, he landed in Grenada, which is an island in the Caribbean, 4,000 miles from his intended destination. He told the newspaper, he said, I, I tried to make it absolutely clear that I wanted to go to Grenada, not to Grenada. I think that's maybe how you say the difference, but... So happens that he was booked for a flight to Granada. He said it didn't make sense since he was flying back to America from Lisbon, which is very, very far from the Caribbean island. He's suing the airline for $34,000, and the judge refused to throw out the suit, and he added this, it proves the case or the, the truth that Mark Twain has once said, the difference between the right word and almost the right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. It's a radical difference. I mean, can you imagine the shock? You know, you're all excited, you go on this vacation, and all of a sudden you, you think that you have said the right word, but then you end up in a different destination. It's funny, the other day I was watching a video talking about exactly uh, where we're going to be headed in this sermon. Video was a, about how Christian musicians are kind of leaving the faith if they've ever had faith. John Cooper, lead singer Skillet, was being interviewed at that time. And he said, when I joined the, the music industry, I learned that people were using the same words that I was using, however, with radically different meanings. And folks, when it comes to the term faith or belief, we want to make sure we understand what that word means. As a matter of fact, we want to make sure our faith is in the right individual. Because if we mess up with that word, the destination is going to be far worse than a Caribbean island. The Samaritans, so as we're looking at this passage today, the Samaritans had just revealed great faith in Jesus Christ. And now he leaves that area of Samaria and heads back to his home country. And the disciples kind of might be all excited. It was a revival in Samaria. The whole village came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the disciples might be thinking the same thing is going to happen back at home. And Jesus is like, well, not so fast. And here again, the focus of the gospel comes to light, faith in Jesus Christ. John's whole point of writing this is that we may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and by believing in his name, we shall have eternal life. And here, these, this term belief or faith is kind of clarified what it should look like and what it should not look like. So I see four faiths that we're going to be looking at today, and hopefully at the end of this sermon we can answer that question, do we have faith? 
first faith that I see here as we break down, and it's not as bad as it sounds, it's called the circus faith. So the first circus faith, verses 43 through 45. John chapter 4. After the two days, two days that he spent in Samaria, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Guy tells a story about taking his daughter uh, to the circus. How many people have been to the circus? Been to a circus? I don't like the circus. I think it's kind of scary at times. People are very strange. So I don't really like going to the circus, but I know some people actually love the circus. So before the event, he tried to explain to her what to expect at the circus, at the atmosphere of the big top. She was asking a ton of questions along the way. Is she going to see the elephant? Could she actually swing on the trapeze? Would the clowns come down and talk to her? I'm not sure why she would want that, but she did. The night before, she was so excited she could not sleep at all. She woke her parents with, Daddy, Daddy, come on, we can't be late. Circus is here. As they drove to the circus grounds, Amy's eyes sparkled. They finally arrived. He had to hold her hand tightly so she wouldn't run ahead into the crowds. He brought her peanuts and Cracker Jacks, took a ring out of the Cracker Jack box and placed it on her finger. She giggled as she was watching all the events. When's it going to start? When's it going to start? She asked again and again. Finally, it began. She clapped her hands to the music. She squealed with delight. She watched the parade of animals and performers. Her eyes darted back and forth, not knowing which of the three rings to watch. And suddenly, she got quiet. Her daddy turns to her and she goes, he said, what's the matter? She said, daddy, they did all this just for me. That's sweet. Girls, children love the circus. And when I, we talk about having a circus faith, you're probably wondering, how is Pastor Mark going to tie all this together? Well, I want you to see that What Jesus says here can kind of lead us maybe into confusion. What does it mean that the Galileans received him? However, Jesus prefaces that with a statement. And he says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, don't confuse this when Jesus said later on, in another gospel, that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown or in Nazareth. This is a different statement. And I believe Jesus is actually referring to Judea and Galilee as well. And he's preparing his disciples for something. Comparing that with the reception that he received in Samaria. There are four words that I want us to focus on throughout this this passage here today. The two words, two words go together. They are words and works, sight and hearing. And those are the differences between the reception here and the reception in Samaria. Notice everyone believed in Jesus in Samaria, in Sychar, where he was, 
And what did they believe who he was? Not just a prophet, not just a miracle worker, but the Savior of the world. They did not see him perform any miracles. So here is the difference. So why, why are the Galileans receiving him? Because he was there before and he did some signs. He did some stuff that people have heard about. He changed the water and the wine, which has probably made the rounds now. People have heard about that miracle. As a matter of fact, John mentions it right after this. But he also, in Jerusalem, we know that he kicked out the authority. So Jesus is a show. And people like to see a good show. People find an entertainment value in that. But I want us to also see that there is an aspect of curiosity to this. And I want us to see that this is kind of the beginning of steps of faith. People hear about Jesus. Maybe the church puts on some sort of event, gets people's attention, people get excited. And what do they do? They come along and they see. They want to see what's going on. Oh, you guys, you guys over there at Galilee, you look like you have fun. You actually look like you like each other. I'm kind of curious. I want to see what's going on. You know, I think about our outreach events that we do. Think about day camp. We build it up. We advertise it. But we want to know that individuals that are just coming out of curiosity and out of some sort of felt need that is meant do not have a true saving faith. And we're going to see how Jesus walks particularly one individual into the place of faith where he wants him to be. This goes back to what John says earlier, that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. However, there is a curiosity here. And the curiosity is about who Jesus is. The whole goal of why Jesus does certain signs and miracles is to bring people to an understanding of who he is, which is the same understanding that the Samaritans just reached. He is the Savior of the world. So here you have the kid peeking in and looking in the circus. We remember the curiosity with circuses and events like that. And eventually, it needs to come down to a personal encounter. People can come and they can join the community of the church. They can have fun at church events. But it is personally what we do with the person of Jesus Christ that matters. This kind of brings us to our next faith that I see here, which is a conditional faith. And at any time, as we talk about these first two faiths and then we move in, to where I think that Jesus wants us to be. Anytime that transition can happen. So conditional faith is verse 46 through 48. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. There was a royal official there, whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him. He was imploring him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. But Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Douglas Murray is a prolific humanist writer, 
and social critic who has authored two best-selling books. He finds himself in an odd position. He's a self-professed non-believer. However, he has a great respect for Christianity and for Jesus and for the role that Christianity has played in Western civilization to the point of calling himself a Christian atheist. So I don't know how that's possible. It's really not. But again, we're here to clarify some words, so let's continue. On an episode of the Unbelievable podcast, Mary was asked, why don't you just believe in God? His response has always been that he generally finds it difficult to accept certain aspects of the Christian argument. He says, belief in God cannot be faked or forced. The host of the program asked Murray what would it take for him to come to faith, or he says return to faith, but I would argue probably come to faith in God, in Jesus Christ, and in Christianity. You know what his response was? I think I would need to hear a voice. And this caught the guy off guard. He said, do you mean a literal voice? He said, oh yes, I mean a literal voice. And he says it's one of the bad things about Western Christianity that we kind of are hard on people who hear voices or see visions. So there you go. He needs to actually hear a voice. Maybe God calls him on his cell phone. I think I would kind of remind this guy because one of the atheist's biggest arguments is the Crusades. How did the Crusades start? Did, did, they, did he hear or see something in the sky? Yes. There's a cross, and, he, and it said to conquer in that. So we got to really be careful about hearing voices and seeing visions because a lot of times it doesn't work out, does it? But we know that God has spoken. God has spoken in these final days. Who has God spoken in? The person of his son, Jesus Christ. Where's God's voice to be found? Right here. But folks... Before we're, we're too hard on our friend, even Christians who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ can get to this point, can't we? What is this? It's a condition. I am not going to believe in you, God. I'm not going to trust you with something in my life, whatever it is, unless you do something for me first. It's a condition. Jesus calls out not just this guy. The you here is plural. He's talking to everyone who is listening, and he's talking to us today. Because even if we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, there are certain times that we're not walking in faith. There are certain times where in order for us to give more of ourselves to God, we place conditions on him. All right, Lord, you want me to go ahead and do this? I tell you what, you do this for me first, I'm all yours. How many of us have done that? Oh, yeah. Conditional faith. Unless, then I will. There's a guy later on has conditional faith. His name is? Thomas. Thomas actually says this very thing. It's like Jesus is saying, you know, Thomas, pay attention later on. I don't even think Thomas isn't with him at this point, but he's like, unless I do what? See the 
the marks, the nails in his side and touch, unless then I'm going to believe. This is a really dangerous place, but people are brought to this place in a crisis. And that's exactly how God is drawing this nobleman to himself. This man is in a crisis. And I want to say, what this man does, he takes the right steps. Notice, notice how this man's faith grows throughout this passage. What does he do? He hears about Jesus. Jesus is in town. Okay, I've heard that Jesus can do some things. I heard that Jesus can make miracles. I heard that Jesus can heal people. So all of this is that curiosity aspect and this desire to have a problem fixed. He has run out of solutions. He's a nobleman, so he's rich, and he probably has some power, right? Do you think he's tried other things? Probably at this point. And God brings this guy to his utter end, and his son is dying. Many, many times, many, many times not only to bring people to faith in him initially, but to strengthen our faith as we walk with him, God allows these crises to happen. Where we come to an end to ourself and we say, I can't do anything else. Leaving his son is actually a step of faith, isn't it? It's not there. He has to leave, he hears about Jesus, and he goes, and what does he do? He asks him, he implores him, he begs him. All of the right steps, but then Jesus sends out a challenge. And here is where the challenge needs to be seen for all of us. Unless you see something, unless I do something, you're not going to trust me. You're not going to believe me. We've talked about this before, but if this son is not healed by Jesus, does that change who Jesus is? Does it change the character of God? Does it mean that Jesus is not compassionate? Does it mean that he's not good? Does he mean that he's not powerful? No. This is the danger of conditional faith. Because if I place a condition on him and he doesn't meet that condition, if he doesn't heal this man's son, this man's not going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a condition. But we see that in saying this, Jesus is actually challenging that type of faith. Because it doesn't change who he is. Maybe you're in a position today and you've been playing this game with God, doing the unless, doesn't change who he is, and it doesn't make him any less trustworthy. Jesus' goal is to bring people to a fully unconditional, committed faith in who he is, no matter what their circumstances are, folks. And that's how we live out our faith in this world because many, many, many times I've talked to people before and I've said, have you trusted God with that? I tried that. He didn't answer it the way I wanted to. I'm not following him anymore. That's what happens. It's not faith. 
If, if we're depending on sight, if we're depending on seeing things, that's, that's sight. Jesus is talking about the essence of faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for and the belief in the unseen. That's what he wants. And it is a trust not in what we see, but in who Jesus Christ is. And no matter what, whether this son lives or dies, Jesus Christ has the power of life and death in him. The question is, do we trust him without seeing anything first? We see the progression of the crowds and now this personal encounter with Jesus Christ and we can follow his faith. He hears about him. He comes to him. He's making all the right steps, and then Jesus issues this challenge, and now this man is faced with a choice. Leads us to our next type of faith, which is committed faith, verses 49 through 50. So he responds to Jesus. He's not dissuaded by Jesus. As a matter of fact, it makes him implore him more, and he says, the royal, the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. I need you to go back up to when he was finishing up with the Samaritans and listen to what, he said, listen to what they said in verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. Do we see the difference? Here, this is where I think God wants us all to be. Here, this man places his faith in Jesus Christ. He trusts his word. He hasn't seen a thing. How many people have done um, high-risk sports lately? Anyone? No one's been uh, wingsuit gliding. Barb, Irv, down Florida. Don't have in your little community going out. I'd love to see you in one of those suits. <laughs> These guys, so the high-risk sport uh, kind of niche market is, is growing bigger. Did you know that? People are doing, yes, everyone's like shaking their hand. People are doing crazy things now. These guys, they jump from cliffs through mountain canyons. Please, if you've never seen it, put on your bucket list, not do it. Just watch it on a video, and they fly like that, and they put their trust in those suits. People are doing rock climbing stuff, climbing without ropes. They're going swimming with sharks. So risk-taking adventure sports are the new and greatest kind of trend all of a sudden. A couple guys that are interviewed says that it's an escape from the mundane and the routine, because there are no more dragons to slay or mastodons to hunt. Another enthusiast said, if we remove risk from our lives, we never find our strengths and our weaknesses, we grow stagnant. Another gentleman said, when I take these risks, I feel fully alive. Okay, I like that. I can see that. You know what's funny? I... These are, we're, we're in a high risk type of culture and people are going are gonna to place their faith in these little suits 
to get them and place their faith in people who pack their parachutes and place their faith in the ropes that they're climbing up and place their faith in the cages that are made to protect them from the sharks. Matter of fact, people are so crazy, they'll even call Brian McDougall for an Uber ride. You don't, you don't think getting in a car with Brian McDougall takes faith? You better believe, you better know Jesus Christ. Because if not, at the end of the ride, you're going to, one way or another, you're going to see him. Or Brian's going to be witnessing to you and cranking that wheel and be like, you believe in Jesus? Not yet. It's funny we'll do all those things, including, Brian, that's got to be added to the high-risk sport category. We'll do all those things, but to put our trust in Jesus Christ, whether it is initially God incarnate, the one who has the power over life and death, the one who can heal us, the one who can save our souls, we're like, no, 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 wait a second. Just give me a little, I just gotta, can you do something? Can I get a little insurance thing here? Can you show me something before I step out in faith, trusting in you? I look at our missionaries here. I don't think they, they got a guarantee. Did you guys get a guarantee when you went out? Any visions that you knew what the future was going to hold? Everything that you went through? Said it's going to be great, you're going to be awesome, and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go. No, they didn't get any of that. The examples right there of faith. Same thing with the nobleman. What does he do? He believes. He believes in Jesus' word. He takes his word. He takes him at his word. Jesus says, go. It's a command. Your son lives. He tells us, believe in him and you too will live for all eternity. And the man does what? Walks. Says he walks off. That, my friends, is where God wants all of us to be. He takes that step of faith. And folks, whether it is that initial step of faith in Jesus Christ and placing our lives in his hands, because that's what he asks us to do, or it is that continual step of faith where Jesus is telling us, hey, you need to give this to me. You need to not worry about this. You need to hand this over, and I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me. We believe in him, and we take that step. Can you imagine? This is a choice for this guy, because what has he been wanting all along? He wants Jesus to come home with him. He's been saying, come down with me, because he needs to, what, see it, touch, Jesus is going to touch the boy, the boy's going to be healed, and then the guy's going to be like, oh, I believe in you. Uh-uh. Jesus says, go. It's a command. The command is to go, and to go without him, and to believe that Jesus healed him. That's faith. Trusting what he says, believing that he has the power of life and death in his hands, and walking out in faith following his commands. Every, every command is tied to a promise. And when God promises something, usually it's with a command. 
Remember, he told the Israelites, he said, hey, I'm going to give you manna, you know, and you're going to collect it, but you can't collect it one day. And then that's a promise. Every time we disobey, disobedience is disbelief. When we don't believe that God's going to meet a certain need, or when we don't believe that God's going to take care of us, we disobey, and that's sin. Because we don't trust Him. John is laying out Jesus' profile for us. And he's saying, look, this is the person you can trust in. You can trust Him with your life. You can trust Him with the life of your children. You can trust Him in your marriage. You can trust Him in your job. You can trust Him in your school. You can trust Him. You may not like all of His commands, but you can trust Him. Take that initial step of faith, whatever it is. We, we have a few folks taking a step of faith, August 22nd, baptism. It's a step of faith. Jesus commands it, and now these folks who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ want to show that faith to a watching world. It doesn't have to be big steps. It starts really, really small in our lives. Trusting Him with these things and then ultimately with, ourselves, ultimately with everything else. You know, I, I talk about this. There was a time when I had to kind of do something like this in my life where I, I wanted to be a missionary. People knew, people, some people here knew that. It was actually all that I could dream about. It used to drive my wife crazy. Like, we would go to international restaurants just so I can eat international food and pretend I was a missionary. And that's all we would talk about. That's all I would talk about. She wouldn't want to always talk to me. And then I was so, I was just so focused on that. And then there came a point where God worked out circumstances in my life, and I realized that was not my calling. I realized that's not what he wanted me to do. Instead of go, he actually wanted me to, to wait and stay. And I didn't have any guarantees. I didn't know. It was a very, very scary time for me. And it took a while for me to work through that and to just say, okay, Lord, it doesn't matter what or where, what matters is who. That's what matters. Am I going to follow him no matter what he calls me to? Am I going to follow him cleaning toilets? Am I going to follow him bagging groceries? Am I going to follow him when my children are sick? When things aren't going well? It's about the person trusting in him. Where are you at so far in this story? Well, we're going to be checking at the end. Are you walking or are you waiting? Waiting for him to do something before you trust him. Leads us to our fourth and final, which is confirmed faith or a convinced faith or a strengthened faith, verses 51 through 54. As he was now... Going down, 
his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. He inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. He and himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. There's a lot of advances in modern technology. We're familiar with them. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the advances in modern technology, but a bunch of security on our smartphones. They can read our thumbprint. Does that make you feel good? And the majority of devices actually have fingerprint sensors on them for enhanced security. It was an innovation that would have seemed unbelievable just a few short years ago. However, these technologically superior methods fail to thwart six-year-old children. There was a six-year-old girl who wanted something. You know what she wanted? Pokemon. I used to say Pokemon, but my daughter would always correct me. How many people like Pokemon? Pokemon, there you go, all right. Yeah, some cards are worth, if you have any, let me know. eBay, make you some money real quick. So this girl wanted Pokemon. I mean, natural, right? So what, but, but her, she can't have access to her mom's phone, but she knows about mom's. She's six, by the way. She knows about mom's phone. Mom has Amazon, right? So mom's sleeping. Yeah. I love this kid. You know what she does? She puts mom's thumbprint while she's sleeping, opens, unlocks the phone. These, there's kids out here right now that are like, dude, why didn't I think of that? All right, Pastor Mark. Unlocks it $250 later of Pokemon Christmas presents. Can you imagine waking up and, be, and, and it, there, it was all confirmed? You ordered, you ordered, you ordered, you ordered. Can you imagine waking up and be like, I must have ordered Pokemon in my sleep. It was unmistakable. Jesus does that right here for this man. And I actually love this part. His, his thumbprint is all over this miracle. It is impossible that it was anyone else. And what happens, and I, I, as I said before, I think this man had already trusted. But what happens? Does, does God, I, I just love how this man steps off. Does he have to go all the way home? No. It's as he's going God does what? He's so gracious and he provides those slaves and they come up and they're like, your son's alive. He's alive. And he goes, what hour? When did it happen? Seventh hour. And he's like, Jesus, that's it. We won't know unless we go, folks. And we won't grow unless we know. Convinced. He's convinced. His faith is confirmed. It's not always going to happen in that way, but God is so gracious. How many people have had that happen in their lives? You've done something. You were kind of worried about something. You didn't know. You were unsure. You know, and you take that step of faith because of who Jesus is, 
Because you know he's going to take care of you, and you step out in faith, and then all along, as you're going along that way, God sends that confirmation. You're like, yes, that's it. It's happened to bring people to, when they come to faith in Jesus, and it has happened throughout the lives of Christians as they walk in faith, as they step out in faith. What is God asking you to step out in faith in today? Because you're never going to know unless you go. Unless you take that step. And that's how he continues to grow our faith in him. It's like the Mythbusters. You ever watched that show before? They take those myths and they do the experiment and they're either confirmed, busted, or plausible. Well, this one, confirmed. Jesus is who he says he is. He has the power over life and death. We can trust him in absolutely everything. Question for us, what kind of faith do we have? Where do we fall? Maybe right now you're struggling with something. Maybe right now you're, 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 you're wondering, is, is Jesus the person that I, I can place my my life in? Can I give him my life? Can I trust his word? John's telling you, yeah. Look what he did for the nobleman. Maybe it's an issue that you're struggling with. Maybe you just don't believe that he's got the best, his best interest out for you. Maybe you're unsure about what to do about a certain circumstance. You can go to him you can ask him, but will you listen to what he says? Maybe you just have the entertainment faith. You're in it when times are good, circumstances are great. But as soon as the show's over, you're out of here. Have you placed conditions on him? Lord, I'll give you my heart if you give me X, Y, or Z. Maybe you've committed your life to him. You started off on that journey, and you've seen him confirm that decision. The nobleman had faith. The question is, do we? Father, thank you for stories like this, stories in the life of this man who trusted in who Jesus was and trusted in his word. I pray, Lord, that if there are those who don't know you here today, who have not placed their faith in Christ, that they would do so. That they would hear that call. That they would know that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, their sins are forgiven. If they trust in that, in him, they'll have eternal life. I pray for all those who are struggling who are unsure about the next step, and who are having trouble trusting in who you are. I pray that you just comfort them. You reach out to them. You convict them through your Holy Spirit. Lead them to make the right decision. Lord, thank you again. Help us to continue to grow in our faith. 
as you walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen.